I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. I'm absolutely grateful for the fact that I got a second chance. And the, the, the strangest thing is that if you had asked me if I would rather die or lose two limbs, I would have said I would rather die because I would not know who I would be. I would not know how I would do my job or live my life without these two limbs. And it, it's so strange now to live a life where it's just normal. Today I'm talking about change and what motivates each and every one of us as humans to change. You know you hear the saying that people never change and you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I wholeheartedly disagree with this. I have worked with literally thousands upon thousands of people who do change because they have made the choice to pull themselves out of this sea of inertia and paralyzing fear that have a unfounded stranglehold on so many of us these days and inspire them to set sail for a whole new life destination. You may wanna be healthier, but this involves starting an exercise program. This involves you eating a cleaner, greener, plant-based diet. You may want a new job. You may wanna get out of a broken, unhealthy relationship. Whatever it is, all of these things require you to face the fears that have been holding you back and preventing you from living the life that you absolutely deserve. Today, I'm working with people to inspire them to eat a plant-based diet, to face their fears, and to live a bigger and more nourishing life. In this episode, you're gonna learn all about these things and be inspired to create change in your life. Look at Joe Inga, who reached out to me in January. He sent me an email because he was concerned about his failing health. He was overweight, had super high cholesterol and blood pressure, and he was worried that he was becoming not only a liability as a firefighter, but also 
he wasn't the father that he knew his family needed. Fortunately for Joe, he took the initiative to create change before something horrific happened. But for someone like Paul DeGelder, he created change in his life because he was given a second chance at life. Paul is lucky to be alive today, and after surviving such a terrifying shark attack, it's just, it's a miracle that Paul is alive. But he didn't take his second chance and squander it. He learned in his dive training to improvise, to adapt, and overcome. Paul is here today to share that survival story. He is a inspiration. Paul teaches us about his training, about facing and overcoming fears, creating change, and about how he eats a plant-strong diet to be more manly, energized, and healthier than he ever has been in his entire life. So, Paul, thank you for having us in your in your home. You, this is our first time meeting. Mm-hmm. You, you look absolutely uh, amazing. I think it's safe to say that this body of yours is built by plants and one bull shark. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now I know you've probably told this story at least three times. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> we, maybe, maybe we're going shark. Ma- maybe four. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but I'd like to start out with that story. Um, I I joined the army in Australia in November 2000 uh, because I just was kind of failing at everything else. Uh, And I think that's a fairly common theme amongst people that join the military, especially the infantry in the lower ranks. Um, You know, I I had tried a lot of things. I've been on a lot of adventures. I I, uh, worked in hospitality for a long time. I became a rapper, opened up for Snoop Dogg and thought I made it as a rapper and that, that wasn't to be apparently. Um, and I was just kind of lost. Uh, I'd been kicked out of home at 17, a failed high school, uh, but I was very well read and I knew about this big bad world out there and I so badly wanted to be a part of it, but I just didn't know how. And so I've actually followed my two younger brothers into the army and they were both artillery and they said, whatever you do, don't join infantry. It's too hard. You won't make it. And so I joined infantry and loved it. And uh, all of that, that fitness that had been instilled in me as a young person. My dad was a police officer in his spare time. He was a swimming instructor. And so we grew up swimming, you know, four or five times a week. All Australians do, right? Yeah. So uh, not all of them, some more than others, but yeah, it was, um, it had that, that fitness and that strength of mentality had gone away for a long time when I started rebelling in, you know, around 15 and started drinking and smoking and smoking weed and doing drugs through working in hospitality. And I, I really was not in any sort of, of shape, but not a lot of drugs in uh, basic training in the army, not a lot of uh, drinking. So th- the training brought that all out of me and I started to find that value and purpose through that, that sense of fitness and, uh, and achievement. And so, I, I stayed in the army for uh, about four and a half years, um, became a, an army paratrooper, jumping out of planes, uh, uh, did peace, peacekeeping with the United Nations through Southeast Asia, uh, and really had a great time, but it, it just became a little repetitive for me. And I was supposed to go to Iraq on a trip, but it got canceled four days before I left. And I, I kind of just got fed up with that, the, the cycle of being dirty and filthy and sleeping in muddy holes and being cold and, and we, with no nothing on the horizon. And so I thought, you know what, I don't want to be disenfranchised with this life. I, I love being in the military. I, I just need it change but I, I you know I didn't I couldn't go backwards I needed to go forwards uh, I always feel like 
if you're going to make a change, at least, you know, set set at a, a level above what you're doing. Even if you fail, you, you mm. can probably come back to where you were and try again. And so I thought, you know what, I don't want to go special forces in the army because I'm sick of being out in the bush. Let's try something different. And I found out about the clearance divers and I just thought these guys are incredible. Uh, and no one looks directly at them. Just, you know, everyone, I just thought, you know, what's stopping me from being a bit special like that? And, you know, it wasn't a hypothetical question. I honestly, you know, a lot of the questions we ask ourselves through our lives, uh, I feel like people think they're hypothetical and they ask them and then they just don't answer it. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have to answer those questions because they're important. I thought, you know, what is stopping me from being special like those guys? So what's stopping you from being special? In Joe's case, in the past, He'd adopt a whole food, plant-based diet after his disappointing firefighter physical exam, but then he'd fall back after a few months because he didn't want to stand out in the firehouse. What's your excuse? My father talked in episode one about the joy and adventure of going against the grain. Man, you talk about somebody that was initially made fun of by his peers for trying to heal and prevent heart disease with strong food, but Later, some of those same peers came to him for treatment, and now obviously his research has led to significant change and healing in the lives of more people than any of us can count. Eating a plant-strong diet isn't about fitting in, at least not today. Yes, someday it will be mainstream, but for now, I want you to take joy in standing tall for your health and for going against the grain. I didn't have an answer, so I thought, stuff it, I'm, I'm going to try. And Is the clearance diet the equivalent of like a Navy SEAL in the States? It's similar. It's not really the equivalent. Um, so clearance divers don't come under special forces. Uh, Navy SEALs do uh, as a branch of the Navy. But um, Navy SEALs also do a lot of uh, hostage rescue, terrorist killing, things like that. Um, our role is more along the lines of we do do that stuff, but we don't have as many people in the Australian military as you guys do. So we can't specialize right. because we don't have enough people to do that. So we do everything, everything from underwater bomb disposal to land-based bomb disposal to underwater tools repair, salvage, um, to counterterrorism, to like everything to do with the water. Uh, so we have to be very well trained in every aspect of that role. Um, so it's the closest simmer- similarity we have really. Um, and so I was, you know, I, I, I went into it with the mindset that they're either going to mm. kill me or they're going to fail me. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, so the, they didn't kill me. So as a clearance diver, just because I have a swimming background and I, yeah. sw- I swam in college, are you guys having to actually like swim a lot, like miles and miles? In, in selection training we do, uh, 10 days of basically physical, mental and emotional anguish. Yeah. You know, the, the first day is a, a four hour run. Uh, and that's like hill sprints, Indian file, fireman's carries, all that sort of stuff. It's not just running. So you do that for four hours. Then you get to the bottom of the hill back at dive school and they tell everyone, all right, stretch up. We're going to go and do that again. And you're looking at the, the, the 
down the barrel of another four hour run. And that's when most people drop out and they're just like, there's no way I can't do this. And so if you can get past that first day, most of the people um, hold on. Uh, then the next day it's a six hour swim through Sydney Harbour in the middle of the night, wake you up at 11 p.m., you put on a pair of fins, you put on your overalls and a wetsuit and you link arms and you lay out on your back and you kick your legs for six hours across the harbour nonstop. And then What's you, the temperature of that water? Uh, it depends on the time of year. Yeah. You know, I, was, I was lucky, I did a summer course. Uh, so somewhat lucky because the summer course is nice in the water, but it's hot as balls when you're running a marathon. Yeah. You know, then, so you wake up the next day after three hours sleep, you've got to run 22 kilometers. Uh, and then it just goes on and on and on. Five hours of PT on the soft sand, pack marches, stretcher carriers, first aid stands, mind games, pulling boats through the harbor, just on. So I lost about yeah. 20 pounds. So how, how many guys are you like doing this with? Uh, it started out with about 37 and we ended with 10. Hmm. So uh, I, I was, you know, I, they call you up into this little room to tell you how you went and because you don't know, they don't tell you anything through that whole process. And they, they told me that um, I got an A pass, congratulations. And honestly, like, the tears started welling up yeah. in my face in front of this panel of big, tough senior Navy clearance divers. I was like, hold it together, Paul, hold it together. Mm -hmm. um, well, you must have felt uh, so incredibly proud of yourself. Unbelievable. And just absolutely like I couldn't believe dream it. come true. Yeah. Um, and then I went on to nine months of intensive basic clearance diver training. So it, it, it just got harder from there. Mm. Yeah. Long, long days, long nights for nine months. Um, but I passed, you know, we had a good team, good solid team. And we all, you know, the difference between being an infantry soldier in, in the army is there's a lot of followers, um, not many leaders. Whereas the clearance divers are all leaders. Everyone takes control. Everyone looks after each other. Uh, everyone makes sure that everyone's okay. So that was the support network we had to work with yeah. to help push each so, other through. So, so in that boat, that evening or that morning mm -hmm. with the shark attack, or you're with a couple guys that, I mean, these guys are capable guys. You've known yeah. these guys for a long time, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. so- So uh, this is like February 11th, 2009. Okay, February uh, 11th, 2009. End of okay. summer in Australia, last right. month of summer. Uh, so generally speaking, a, a fairly hot period, uh, but it was seven o'clock in the morning, overcast in Sydney Harbour, um, right alongside the Navy base where we've worked for decades. So nothing out of the ordinary for this day, really. And I had one of the new guys in the water. And what was happening was uh, we were in the first phase of testing some counterterrorism equipment. It was unmanned video and sonar. So the goal was this equipment could go on the pier, on the wharf, or on a ship, anywhere around the world, and we could turn it on and it would detect movement by sonar under the water or detect movement by video on top of the water. And so we were using that, using us as attack swimmers to see if it would track us and film us and whatever. And so the new guy was in the water for the first half an hour and I just pulled him out. I said, come on, mate, take a break. Let me take over. And I rolled over the edge of the Zodiac, little black inflatable boat, mm -hmm. black wetsuit, pair of black fins, uh, and just you know, on the surface on my back, kicking my legs. Um, on my first run, headed towards the bow, one of the warships, just thinking nothing of it. And then I say, one of my biggest fears in life ever was sharks. Sharks and public speaking were my two gigantic fears. I quit an infotech course because I had to speak in front of the class. Um, and sharks was something I always had to put into the back of my mind. All my buddies knew I was terrified of them. So that morning, every time I got in the water, you know, I'm, that morning I'm like, okay, I'm just kicking along and I'm like, well, I wonder what, you know, if a shark attacked me right now. You're where thinking would I, that. Yeah, 
Yeah, I was thinking, you know, where would I, where would I be best have my hands? Because when I'm what we do, you know, finning on the surface, uh, as it's called, we get trained to cross our hands across our chest and just kick our legs like that, little, like a little torpedo. Whereas I like to have my hands in the water so I can feel it. You know, I feel like I'm with nature and I'm just flowing with the water. And I'm thinking, you know, if I have my hands down by my side like this, it could trap my arm and I wouldn't be able to fight it off. And then I put them against my chest and I thought, well, you know, if I have them up across my chest, I could protect some vital organs. And then I put my hands down by my side, looked over my left shoulder to make sure that I was going in the right direction and a shark attacked me. What, I mean, it, it, okay, I think you said this, but it hadn't been a shark attack in Sydney Harbour for 60 years, right? 60 years. Maybe it was just predestined to be because yeah. what has happened after it is truly remarkable. So um, it is so murky, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. in, in that bay that you can't see your hand in front of your, your face. Is that right? Yeah, in most parts of Sydney Harbour, it's, okay. it's murky so that you can't really see. You might be able to see your hand in yeah. front of your face, but not much okay. past that. So the perfect habitat for bull sharks. They love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so no one saw the shark coming. You know, we didn't even see it leave. It, it came up from underneath me and latched onto my, my hamstring, the back of my right leg and my right hand, which was by my side against that part of my leg. And I was looking the other way. So I didn't even know what it was. And the teeth are so sharp and they have this gel coating on them. So they just slide straight into flesh. And it was, it, it's just so seamless. You don't even really feel it. Yeah. All I felt was the pressure clamp down on my body. And I was looking behind me and I thought, that's weird. And I turned around thinking that maybe the guys in the boat had hit me. And I came face to face with my worst nightmare. Yeah. And I, I, my mind couldn't process what I was seeing because I'd never seen that before. It was, and, and then, you know, that survival instinct kicks in and I thought, all right, I've seen Shark Week. I, I've, I've, I've seen the crocodile hunter, I'll jab it in the eyeball. And so I tried, and I tried to move my arm to jab it in the eyeball because I could see the eyeball right there, right next to my hand, but I couldn't. And I looked down and I could see all the teeth embedded into the top of my hand, pinning it to my side all the teeth across my thigh, the half embedded into my leg, the lips pulled back, the gum, just the, this big eye staring at me. And I just, I didn't know what to do. And I thought, okay, left hand. I've still got left hand. And I reached over to try and jab it in the eyeball, but I was an inch short because it had me by the back of the leg and I just couldn't reach it. So out of desperation, I put my hand on its nose and tried to lever it off of me but all that did was push the teeth of the lower jaw deeper into my leg and so that was when a bit of the pain kicked in because up until that point it was still just kind of pressure and panic and adrenaline and so I cocked back to you know the next step is punch it in the nose everyone says I punch it in the nose so I cocked back to punch it in the nose but as soon as I do that I guess the blood from my leg starts to flood its mouth or it detects me fighting back or something but something happens where it decides to start thrashing me about to remove the flesh. And so as soon as it starts to shake me, those teeth are working in unison like a saw and the pain kicks in and it just took every ounce of fight out of me. The pain was so horrific. You know, when the, when the teeth, when the head shakes, the teeth go in opposite direction, literally soaring through your flesh. Um, and this funny thing is so many people ask me if it hurt and I'm just like, really? Go and kick your shin on that table yeah. over there and, and then multiply it by a million. Uh, and it, it lasted about 10 seconds. And towards the end of it, <clears throat> the pain kind of washed away. And I 
realized that I was going to die. And I thought to myself, I'm not going home today. I'm going to die right now. And a calm washed over me and I thought, am I ready to die? And it's not like, you know, people say that, that time kind of stood still, but I think it's all the chemicals and adrenaline, all that stuff in your brain that, that makes it go into hyperspeed. And I was thinking all of this in like a blink of an eye. And I thought, well, you know what? I've done far more than I could have ever thought possible in my life from, from where I started out. And I have lived 10 lives in these 31 years. And if I'm going to die, then I'm good. I don't have any regrets. And I just, I just let go. And then the shark had sawn through my whole leg and sawn through my hand and ripped him out of my body. And because I wasn't attached to the shark anymore, the wetsuit made me buoyant and brought me to the surface. And I popped my head out of the water. The shark's tail thrashed water into my face. And you can see this is all on YouTube as I well. I saw that, yeah. 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 And um, so, and that's kind of shocked me back to reality. And I realized I wasn't dead. And I thought, shit, I got to get out of here. I got to get back to the boat. I saw my safety boat and I thought, okay, I got to get, I got to get there. I'm in like mission mode right now. I don't know how bad anything is until I start to swim. And I take my arm out to take a stroke and my hand is gone. My wetsuit ends at the end of my um, end of my arm, and so the medical training comes into play. And I think, okay, I've got to keep that wound above my heart to stem the bleeding, or I'm going to bleed out. So I keep my right arm out of the water, and I'm swimming with one leg and one hand back to the boat because I can't even feel my right leg. I don't have any idea what's wrong with it. All I know is I can't feel it. And the guys in the boat said, but by the time they started coming towards me. They could see me swimming through a pool of my own blood. I had one goal, get back to the boat. That's all I had to do. And so I focused on that, kept swimming. The guys got to me, pulled me out of the, the water and started first aid and, and kept me alive until the paramedics got there, um, which was no easy task in itself because there was an artery squirting blood. One of the guys had to pinch it closed with his fingers. Um, the, the tourniquets weren't working. Uh, my chief, well, by the time we got to the pier, my chief that was with the scientist already thought I was dead. It wasn't until I started um, started spluttering or something that, that he realized I was still alive. So everything came into play to keep me alive that day. The, the, the training, the, the absolute amazing physical shape that I was in, uh, my body being able to function on lowered amounts of oxygen, my mates being trained to stay calm and, and under control in intense situations like that, the fact that the paramedics were close by, the hospital was close by, um, and so I'm, you know what? I'm just so fortunate that that if that shark it, it missed my femoral artery by a couple of millimeters, mm-hmm. and if it had nicked that, I would have bled out and died before I was even out of the water. So, you know, I'm I'm absolutely grateful for the fact that I got a second chance. And the the, the strangest thing is that if you had asked me previous to that if I would rather die or lose two limbs, I would have said I would rather die because. I would not know who I would be. I would not know how I would do my job or live my life without these two limbs. And it's so strange now to live a life where it's just normal. When I met Paul DeGelder, I knew instantly this guy needs to be at this year's Camp Plantstock weekend. His story, as you're hearing about right this second, is more than remarkable. It is the epitome of human triumph over tragedy. Camp Planstock, it's all about celebrating triumph. Triumph in science, 
Triumph in food, triumph in transformation, and triumph celebrating you and where the triumphant plant-based movement is heading. This year features a lineup like no other. We have husband-wife neurologist, Drs. Dean and Aisha Shurzai, who shine rays of hope on the Alzheimer dementia epidemic. We have Dan Butner, the founder of The Blue Zones, sharing his expertise and lessons from cultures around the world where it is the norm to thrive into your 80s, 90s, and beyond. We have John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods Market, who will be sharing a message he has never delivered before on leading with love. We also have experts on diabetes, sports medicine, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, and of course, heart disease. What do all of these speakers have in common? They bring optimism to the tsunami of chronic disease that our country is currently facing. And Paul is a standout in the crowd, showing us all that compassion for animals, even the ones that can hurt us, is the way in which we should strive to live. Join us from August 9th to the 11th in Black Mountain, North Carolina, just outside of Asheville, with hundreds of like-minded people, buffets of whole plant-strong foods, plenty of outdoor activities like kickball and yoga, planned kids' activities, live music, plus a morning meditation turned dance party that you won't want to miss. Visit engine2.com backslash events and plan your summer trip today. A um, couple of days after the shark attack, you know, I, I knew my hand was gone. I'd process that. There's nothing I can do about it. But if I can keep my leg, then maybe life will go on as normal. So I was holding on to that hope that I'd keep my leg. And then when I had to face the reality of having it chopped off, the couple of days after that was probably the toughest of, of any period of my life. I went through immense pain. The, the pain management team drugged me to the eyeballs. They could not stop the pain. I was laying in my hospital bed, rolling from side to side for 20 hours, just crying and begging to die. And I, I, it got so bad, bad, I asked my mum to find me a gun so I could kill myself. Uh, it, I just, it, like one hour, okay, two hours, okay, five hours, six hours, 20 hours of agonizing torture. And I just didn't know if it was ever going to stop. I was going out of my mind. And then finally it stopped. And I was laying in my hospital bed thinking, what now? And that was when I had to make the hard decisions because it was either... I give up, I lose my career, I lose my identity, I lose my purpose and my value, or I don't. And so I just chose not to. That was, I had an internal dialogue that was very supportive. It was, it was mission driven to the point where I know what it's like to be drugged to the eyeballs, like when I was a teenager, smoking weed every day, couldn't think, scared to go outside having no money, having no feeling like you have no future, you have no value. I swore to myself that I would never go back to that because that was what I was terrified of at that point. So that was it. There was, there was no other way. I was not going to go backwards. I was going to move forwards and I was just going to make it happen. And that was it. If I failed, I failed. So, so maybe you've already said it, but I'm going to ask it more directly. So what would you say to all the Joes and the Janes and the people out there that are afraid to confront their fears. Um, would, would you just say get after it and do it or, or 
Um, the, the, the first thing that I did to overcome my fear of sharks um, after getting eaten by one was um, learn all about them. Um, so the knowledge dispels fear. It's yeah. an old adage. And so I learned all about sharks because uh, I was getting um, so much media attention because of what happened. And every time there was a shark interaction in Australia, the media would come to me. And so to prevent myself sounding like a dumbass, I had to learn about everything about sharks, you know, where they live, what they ate, why were they interacting with humans and things like that. And through doing that, I, I built a familiarity with the sharks. And so I, I naturally just stopped fearing them and became more and more curious about them to the point that I wanted to go and see them and not fear them and see them as the beautiful part of the ecosystem and nature that I knew them to be, yeah. but just hadn't seen it. And so I feel like one of the first steps you have to do is, is build a fascination with the thing that you fear most mm -hmm. and learn about it. And that will assist you in overcoming it. And you'll build a familiarity and a, a natural curiosity about it. And it won't be so scary. Mm -hmm. And then you can take the next step into confronting that fear. Mm -hmm. Simple, but very profound. So how long did it take you after uh, that shark ate parts of you to get back in the water? As soon as my staples were out of my leg, I was in the water. I, the, three months to the day, I was down at Bondi with two of my buddies and my surfboard trying to stand up on one leg. So that, I, didn't, I didn't care, man. Like, is, is that because these guys are like, hey, you need to get it back on that horse? Or were you like, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting back in the water? Or? No, no. Well, it was three months. That's a long time for a Navy diver to be out of the water. Uh, yeah. and, and look, there's, there's just, I didn't feel like there was anything left to be afraid of mm. because I'd literally nearly been killed by my worst nightmare. And I think you get to make the choice. That's one of the, the greatest things that I've discovered about humans and especially about me is we we get to choose you know this is the single greatest and truly only power that we have in our lives is our power of choice what do i want what do you want we get to ask ourselves that every single day and then we can act on it or we don't react on it and so I chose when I was laying in that hospital bed with one leg and one hand, what am I going to do? Am I going to be depressed and sad and push all of that love and support away and have a shitty life? Or am I going to dust myself off and get on with the job like the military told me? Use all of the tools I have at mm -hmm. my disposal, my friends, my family, my training to go and have a good life and push past the boundaries. And I realized that I had nothing left to be afraid of. You can, you can curl up in a ball and be afraid of everything and give up. Or you just realize there's nothing, there's no more fear. So, so there's nothing left to be afraid of. So it's something we create anyway, fear, yeah. you know, through the environments we grow up on, the, the, the you know, the, the preconceptions that other people feed to us. That's what fear comes from. You know? And it's, you know, there's the natural fight or flight. You know, no one, everyone's afraid of getting eaten by a shark. It hurts, trust me, it sucks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> swimming with them, and I've, I've seen more sharks in the past, five years than most people will ever see in their entire lives. And they are amazing. Mm -hmm. They are not to be feared. You know, being afraid and, and facing your fears and failure, all of that comes in one wonderful package. And when you can face your fears, when you can fail again and again and again, it means you're one step closer to actually achieving 
what you want to achieve in your life, right? Whether it's being that robust, healthy version of yourself, whether it's having that dream job, whether it's being in the relationship that you deserve to be in. So go back to episode number four with J.D. Roth, where we talk about failure and we talk about how failing, right? Whoever fails the most wins. So overcome those fears, learn to fail, and learn to embrace becoming the most robust, awesome version of yourself. And so what was, what was the inspiration, the motivation behind you going, uh, and I'm going to use the term plant strong because I love plant strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was, I'm a, a firm believer in listening to the universe. Um, if something is continuously popping up in your life, there is probably a reason for that. And I really didn't know much about the vegan movement or being plant-based or anything like that. I was, um, I was very much the military guy that was always taught in all of the bodybuilding magazines. I, I was not very big or muscly because I was an endurance athlete, but I was, always, I was always trying to get those muscles. And so I thought that you had to eat all the chicken breasts in the world, chicken and broccoli, chicken, mm-hmm. broccoli and rice. And I was eating a lot of kangaroo, chili con kangaroos, spaghetti bolleroo, kangaroo tacos. Oh. I, was, you know, I didn't of, even know you could eat kangaroo. Yeah, yeah, man, I ate oh. so many kangaroos. Um, Tastes like chicken. And so that was my life. And then things, the people started coming into my life. Um, John Joseph, uh, who is one of my very good friends and I love him dearly. He has another friend in Australia, a guy called Ian Norrington, who's a I know celeb- Ian. You know Ian? Yeah. Yeah. Vegan yeah. right here, right? Yeah. 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 So he's yeah. a celebrity bodyguard, security yep. guard, security yep. specialist. Good man. Big, scary, old school London gangster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... He, he just DM'd me on social media one day and was just saying, hey, you know, you've got a great story and I love your profile. You, know, you could really make quite a difference uh, if you uh, went plant-based. And so it was kind of like one of the first times that I'd really seen those two words put together. And then um, it, it filed away in the back of my brain and then I went to Africa to shoot a documentary with Damien Manda, yeah. uh, who was a, a good friend of mine as well. And we both served in the Australian Navy together. And so one night um, around dinner after the, the end of a very long day, uh, we were having, I was watching everyone cook their meals. Like, and he was, he was getting fed from a different pot to the rangers. And so I asked him about it and, I was, and he said, well, I don't eat meat, you know, I'm vegan. And I said, well, what does that mean exactly? And he said, well, I don't, I don't eat meat. I don't eat dairy. And I said, well, why? Like, you're so huge. You know, you're, you're renownedly um, well-known for being a freaking monster mm-hmm. in the Navy. <laughs> How, why do you do that? And he's like, well, I, I, I came out here to protect the animals and I was eating the animals and I felt like a hypocrite. And that, that was when it clicked. And I realized that I hate hypocrites. I never want to be a hypocrite. And I'm working partially in conservation to raise awareness about sharks and the oceans and the ecosystem. And yet I'm eating all of those animals. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that was when the, the dominoes started to fall in a, a, a sequence. And I went home and I started thinking very, very hard about it, but I didn't really know where to begin. And so I just went vegan, basically. And that lasted three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I got really hungry, and I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And so 
I went back and um, just began eating animals for about another three months. And then Ian popped up again. John Joseph came into my life. And I, it just the vegan and the plant-based just kept coming and coming and coming. And it was playing on my mind about being a hypocrite. And I hate hypocrites. I did not want to be that. I want to be the guy that sets the example for other people. And so like I did with the sharks, I started learning. Mm -hmm. We live in such an incredible age where we have the wealth of the world's knowledge within a few keystrokes. We can research anything now. It's not like the, the old days where you had to go down to the library and get out the microfish and you know, we can just tap it in and up it pops. And so I learned all about it and I, I, I discovered how big this was and uh, and it just grew and grew in my mind, not to just being a hypocrite, but to uh, having a compassionate role to all life, to um, helping the environment on a larger scale because of the, the destruction from animal agriculture and watching um, forks over knives, watching cowspiracy, watching what the hell, all those things. And if, if a lot of people nitpick things about all of those movies, but if even 2% of any of those movies was right, that's enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was it. And I, I started slowly, I took out red meat. Uh, I never really ate pork anyway, because I didn't really like the taste. So I, I took out kangaroo, took out beef, you know, then chicken, then seafood and eggs were like, I, I was lactose intolerant anyway. So the only thing I would do was eat ice cream occasionally and then suffer for it about 20 yeah. minutes later. Um, so I, dairy wasn't a problem and then eggs. Like that was it. That was how am I going to give up the last bit of my protein? Um, and now they just kind of gross me out. Very gross. Yeah, really gross. Um, and so it was. It was a slow progression. I didn't rush myself. I did it when I was ready. Um, but it, you know, like a lot of people say, it's not about perfection. It's yeah. about progression. Yeah. You. Um, <clears throat> So uh, tell, tell me if you think this is an accurate analogy. Um, probably 99% of the, the population of the world thinks that sharks are a menace. They're, they're, they're predators. They're incredibly scared of them. Don't want them around. Mm. I'd say that 99% of the planet thinks that you can't get enough protein eating plants. I mean, so I think that, would you say that these are equally equal myths that are both inaccurate? That, oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are so many preconceptions in our world because people find comfort in reproducing the information that they've been taught and they've grown up on because it's easy. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to do that and believe that than it is to make up your own mind and do your own research. Mm -hmm. you, you and I both come from um, kind of, uh, masculine careers. You were in the military. I mm -hmm. was in firefighting mm -hmm. for a while. Uh, do the guys that you used to be uh, with your dive team with, um, do they embrace this plant-based thing? Do they think you're off your rocker? Do they make fun of you? If they do, what do you say to them? Dude, I get so much shit from my friends. Um, and how, but, do you, how do you handle it? It, it doesn't worry me because yeah. uh, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Let's be honest. I'm bigger and stronger than I've ever been in my life. Uh, I have no injuries. 
I haven't, I haven't, the only injury I, I've had is my left elbow. And that was because I was getting into the shower on one leg and I slipped mm. and I had to grab my whole body weight on the bar above the shower. Mm. Um, and that's happened a lot of times, you know, sharks, I'm not afraid of dying by sharks. I'm afraid of dying by slipping on one leg in the shower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's generally, honestly, the only injury I've had since I began, as soon as I began, no injuries whatsoever, no niggling injuries. I've been able to train to my heart's yeah. content. It's been, that is the most profound thing that I could say about turning plant-based. That and the fact that I feel good in my soul. Yeah. The, um, I was telling you a little earlier about Joe Inga, the firefighter yeah. from, uh, from New York City, Station 72. Uh, he's there with five other guys. They're obviously, as you can imagine, they're not necessarily supportive mm. of, um, uh, of him and this lifestyle. Um, he obviously wants to fit in, right? Uh, any any advice for Joe as far as like kind of going against the grain? Why would you want to fit in? <laughs> well, like, yeah. If everyone was the same, it would be such a boring shit world. What's wrong with originality? What's wrong with doing your own thing? Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like my some of my buddies take the piss out of me. Some of them have followed me into the plant-based lifestyle. Mm -hmm. you know, be the example that you want to set for yourself, your friends, your family, mm -hmm. um, the, the wider audience that tunes in. Like, it, there's nothing wrong with being different mm -hmm. and, and following your own path. Mm -hmm. you know, that will mean that you are literally your own person. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to be someone else? Yeah. yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. There's a lot of people out there, though, that I don't think kind of have that... Uh, maybe that, that inner tenacity, mm -hmm. they, instead they want to go along, yeah. right? They, they don't want to be different. Uh -huh. um, I want to fit in, but, I want to have friends. Right, right. It's, but that's yes. fine, that's fine. Everyone wants to have a, a good network of people around them and friends and like, um, the thing is they'll get used to it. Yeah, you know, yeah. They, they, after a while, it'll just be, oh, you know, yeah. that's, that's Joe, he's, no he's plant-based, yeah. He, he can't come to ribs and burgers with us, but whatever, you know, we, we still yeah. do things together. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, I mean, Joe's, uh, he, he, he's overweight by about 50 pounds, mm -hmm. you know, headed towards prediabetes, diabetes. Uh, um, well, this is where he gets he, to change it all, change it all and set the example for all of his mates. Be, you know, be the light you want to see in other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, do you feel like, and I know the answer here, but do you feel like <laughs> going plant strong for the last four years, you have in any way sacrificed uh, your manliness? No, <laughs> not even a little bit. Yeah. No, I feel like... Um, has it been enhanced? Yeah, I feel like it has because I don't see the act of, like, I don't see the act of, eating the meat that some long distant person has slaughtered that was a slave as being manly. Yeah. I see that as being weak and cowardly. Yeah. Um, and that's not me judging people, but that's just how I feel about the way that I used to be. And mm -hmm. people go out and hunt, but I, I don't see the point. The thing is, it's, it's unnecessary. That's mm -hmm. it. Like, there's nothing more to it. Like, mm -hmm. you might like hunting. You might like eating that meat that you've caught yourself. But it's just not necessary for 99.9% .9 of the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. You know, we did it in the olden days and, you know, whenever. There's, because we had to, to survive. We don't have to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. right? So I don't, I choose not to. I don't see it as 
being unmanly. I see being the protector and mm-hmm. the servant and mm-hmm. the person with compassion as being manly and well, masculine. Yeah, and as we just talked about, to me, being manly is doing the right thing. It's doing, uh, it's actually, if, if you need to, it's going against the grain and it's not being yeah. a follower mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's standing up for everything you believe in. Yeah, so, 100%. I'm wondering though, do you have just good days and great days or do you have, do you have bad days where you're like, or are you just like, oh my God, I've been given the second chance at life and every minute of every day is precious and Dude, you're hanging on to it. I wish it was like that. <laughs> okay, okay. Hell no. No, yeah. not at all. Um, I'm not always motivated. I'm not, yeah. all, like I'm internally, I'm always happy, but that doesn't always shine through. Sometimes uh, I wouldn't say depressed, but occasionally I just get a little down, yeah. you know, and, and the, one of the greatest things one of my buddies told me when I was in hospital was never feel bad about feeling bad. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with it. We all do. Mm-hmm. Just don't let it ruin your day, your week yeah. or your whole life. Feel bad, work out why, fix it, go do something that changes that, that flips it on its head and, and, and go mm-hmm. on and live your life mm-hmm. and be happy. And so yeah. that really, really stuck with me because once again, it comes down to that choice. So I choose to just let myself get mm-hmm. pissed off sometimes and angry and sad and what have you. What, what would life be if we didn't get to enjoy the full spectrum of the human emotion? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a ride. It's not supposed to be up all the time. You yeah. know, where's the fun in that? So you got to have the dips. You got to have mm-hmm. the, the troughs. So mm-hmm. just, you know, feel things. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that learning that has helped me immensely in my public speaking mm-hmm. because I get to share all of those emotions that I was really mm-hmm. burying down in the military. Now they've come out, I've learned to embrace mm-hmm. them and share them. And that that's taken my public speaking mm-hmm. to a whole nother level. Yeah. Well, showing, showing your vulnerability, uh, it's a whole nother strength. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. And, um, and that, I mean, that's, that's something that a lot of people have fear of, right? Mm-hmm. Showing that your, oh, we- your weakness and your vulnerability and you sharing that right now. I mean, that's, that's a message that I think is uh, a lot of people will find comfort in, right? Yeah. I think um, uh, <clears throat> we need to understand a lot of the time that the little box of beliefs that we have aren't always right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we get formed in a certain way from, from being young people. And sometimes we, we put these little beliefs about who we are and um, who we should be a little little higher on a pedestal than mm-hmm. we should yeah you know it, it's okay to just open up that box and let some of that shit out because it's not always right we 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 get to learn who we are over the years and develop that person instead of just being this this same stagnant person mm-hmm. throughout is there's no growth there's no mm-hmm. reward you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's nothing in that well you've obviously experienced a uh a shit ton of growth I'm probably, probably more, it's probably coming at you so fast right now. It, it's probably a little bit mind numbing. I mean, I love it. That's, I that's, love it. that's fantastic. Oh, I mean, it's so good. I mean, who would have thought, especially you, I mean, but that, uh, you'd be the, the host of shark week, right? Yeah. That you'd be teaching Will Smith, you know, how to, how to deal with sharks that you'd be on a show that's up for a, a bogey award, yeah. right? <laughs> Logie. Logie. <laughs> Logie. <laughs> so it was like the Australian version of the Emmys. Um, yeah. yeah, like, dude, I'd never yeah. acted in my life. My second day acting, yeah, I had to do a full nude Magic Mike strip show in front of like the whole cast and crew and 30 screaming actors. Is that recently? Yeah, that was uh, last start of last year. Um, I gave myself G-string rope burn between my <laughs> ass cheeks, trying to <laughs> ripping off my G-strings 12 times on stage. It was 
that was what I was afraid of, uh, stripping on stage. But, uh, you know, it's just because I've embraced all of that stuff and I've let, I've allowed myself to grow through strength and through vulnerability, um, my life has just expanded beyond mm -hmm. anything I thought it could have been. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you feel inspired to face your fears, create change, adopt a plant-strong lifestyle, and pursue your dreams. I want to thank my co-creator of the podcast, Scott Battisil and 10% Media. Lori Kordowich, producer extraordinaire and Engine 2 director of events. Amy Mackey, the curator of all the creative content for Engine 2. And hereby for podcast production. Brandon Curtis for everything in between. I want to thank Whole Food Market for giving me a platform for the last 10 years and for believing me. Special thanks to Joe Inga for your courage to take control and change your life and for allowing us to share your story along the way. And lastly, I want to thank my father and mother, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. I also need to thank all the Plant Strong pioneers who have been pushing this huge boulder uphill for more than three decades. As they say, we are standing on the shoulder of giants. If you're digging the show, please rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Peace, Engine 2. Keep it plant strong. <laughs>